Yeah, just what he said even this morning as we were praying just, just stirred my heart that he said that this whole thing that we do, this whole Christian walk is for the glory and the fame of Jesus. And uh, my prayer this morning is that as we think about the birth of Christ, that Jesus would be glorified, even if only in our midst, that Jesus would be glorified and that we'd be enthusiastic about the fame of Christ in the earth. Um, and so let's go ahead and turn to Matthew um, chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, you all know this story very well. Uh, it's one of my personal favorites from the Christmas, Christmas season. Um, so we'll start in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. And for the slides, it's the ESV. Some of my friends call it the extra spiritual version. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, no, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, and so today we're going to unpack, eventually we're going to unpack what is the significance of the fact that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that he would be born under the Virgin Mary and that more specifically that he would be called Emmanuel, that he would be called God with us? So what's the significance of that name Emmanuel and what should our response be in this Advent season to the fact that Jesus is God with us? Um, but you all know this story, and we'll sort of unpack the beginning a little bit. Um, you know, uh, Mary's pregnant, and they're not married yet, so the angel says, don't be afraid. Uh, the son, the, the baby that Mary has is of the Holy Spirit, and uh, you're going to call him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And that's exactly the same emphasis that we talked about last week with Pastor Daryl, when John the Baptist first beheld Jesus, the first things that came out of his mouth was, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? So it's not, a, it's not just a coincidence that John the Baptist said that. I mean, it's throughout all the gospel. All the gospel writers say the same thing, and Matthew's saying the exact same thing here. He's saying that the angel, the first thing that the angel tells Joseph is, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And just as Pastor Darrell was talking about last week, we really have to connect with this message of salvation. We really need to understand that we were actually brands plucked out of a fire. That without Jesus, we were actually, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses. We couldn't do anything on our own, but Jesus came down in his mercy and he plucked us out of the fire and he saved us from our sins. 
You know, I believe that one of the biggest problems in sort of Western culture is that we lack this real understanding of sin. Because without sin, why do we need Jesus? And uh, it's always, I mean, it's always sort of a struggle to, to really, to come to grips with where we came from. It's so easy to say, oh, Jesus has blessed me and I'm all good. But if we recognize where Jesus brought us from, how can we not praise him? How can we not give him thanks? And so this is what, this is what the angel is saying. He's saying, Jesus, the son of David, this Messiah is going to be identified primarily by saving the people from their sins. And uh, you might wonder, I, I think some of you probably know this, but you might wonder, well, what's the point of, what's the connection between Jesus and the fact that he's going to save everybody? Because Ma- uh, Matthew says, that, the angel says, um, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from uh, their sins. And so I, I don't know if, if many of you know this or not, but uh, the name Jesus is actually the same name as Joshua. So Jesus is the Greek, um, Yesu, and then Joshua is uh, Yeshua in the Hebrew, and then in English we just screw up both. <laughs> but it's, it's Joshua and Jesus. They're, they're actually exactly the same name. So we actually worship a king named Joshua Christ. But, but in the Greek and in the, in, in the English, it sounds completely different. But what, what Yeshua means is God saves and Yehoshua, which is a longer form, means God is salvation. So it's, it's literally a sentence that means God saves. And so when the angel says, you shall call this, na- uh, th- this boy Jesus, he's saying, you should call him God saves. And again, we see that the primary identity of Christ is to save people from their sins, right? Just as we talked about last week, Jesus' primary, primary identity is not our buddy-buddy. He's not Jesus, our homeboy, right? It's Jesus is the Savior that saves us from our sins. Uh, but there is a deeper significance to this name. Um, when I was studying this, my mind was blown. I had no idea about this. But um, you have to think about, you know, the name Joshua is not just a coincidence, right? I mean, in ancient Hebrew culture, these people were named names for prophetic significance, and so the first person you think about is, is Joshua, who brought everybody out of, uh, out of the wilderness into the promised land. And so in that way, Jesus is sort of the new Joshua, who, who brings in the people to the promised land, who brings all of us into the fulfilled promises of God, right? And so uh, that's something that we celebrate, um, and we'll get into this more, but that's something that we celebrate during Christmas, is Jesus is actually the fulfilled promises of God. I mean, that is amazing that God actually fulfills what he promised. He's not a God that just sort of promises things and tells us things in, in the place of prayer or in prophecy and then just sort of leaves us to dry, leaves us out to dry, right? He actually answers our prayers. And so Jesus is sort of the, the Joshua type that's bringing uh, peop- the people into the full promises of God, right? Uh, but I don't know how many of you know this. This is absolutely insane. Uh, how many of you know that there's actually another Joshua in the Bible? I actually did not know this, um, but uh, this Joshua was a high priest, and he was the high priest when they were reconstructing the, the second temple. So you think about Ezra and Nehemiah, they were writing during that time. Uh, Zerubbabel was a political leader, and uh, Joshua was the high priest. And actually, in Ezra and Nehemiah, they call him Jeshua, which is, is Jesus, right? Um, 
And then, uh, just for your information, I didn't know this, Haggai and Zechariah were the two prophets that ministered during that time. And so they all sort of are, form a gang there. Um, but let's look into actually this other Joshua, because he is sort of the more close sort of f- a foreshadowing of who Jesus would be. Um, so turn to Zechariah chapter uh, 3. My prayer is that we would be excited about this Jesus that we worship because this is just, this is amazing. I love this. <laughs> uh, so in Zechariah chapter 3, by the way, if you, are, if you consider yourself a charismatic Christian, this is the chapter for you. This is amazing. So much material for Sozo. <laughs> It really is, but we can't, we can't cover all the, it, it is a really fun chapter, but we can't cover it all. Um, but we'll start at verse 8, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. They are men who are a sign. So Zechariah is saying, you guys are a sign. Joshua and his friends are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, right? Who's the branch? We know that the branch is the branch of Jesse, the promised Messiah from, from Isaiah 11, right? And then this is what it says about the branch. It says, for, for behold, on the stone that I've set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And here's the important part. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. So, so Joshua is the sign of the branch and what the branch will do, well, Joshua and his men are a sign and what they will do is they will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. It's exactly, like this is not made up. This is exactly what John the Baptist said. This is exactly what the angel said to name Jesus, that it will be the Messiah who on the cross one day would take away all of the sins of the world upon himself and remove it in a single day. But then in Zechariah 6, so just turn a few, few pages to Zechariah 6, it gives us more information about Joshua the high priest. This is where the plot thickens. <laughs> okay, so Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from, take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jedidiah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So, what scholars say is, I didn't come up with this, okay, this is, this is crazy, but what scholars say is, just think about this, why are they putting the crown on the high priest? Why are they doing that? 
Because in all of, his, all of Israel's history, they never put a crown on a high priest. This was an unprecedented gesture. And so we have the, the, the liberal theologians, they're like, well, you know, it's a unification between the Zerubbabel and Joshua as the king and the priest. But that doesn't make any sense because it doesn't make sense of the, the, the fact that he's called the branch. And we know who the branch is. We know the branch is Jesus, the promised Messiah. So what's happening here is that when they put the crown on the high priest, it's actually a prophetic gesture that reveals who this Messiah was destined to be. He was destined to be the one man who brings together the high priestly office and the kingly office all together in one man. So this is what um, some scholars say. They say, ultimately the text points to Christ in whom the offices of king and priest find perfect unity. Jesus built God's temple, the church, and intercedes for believers as our our great high priest. So basically, right, in the passage, it says that um, this, this branch will build the temple. And remember, Jesus said, I'll destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. And that was his body, which is the church, right? So Jesus fulfills that prophecy by being the one who builds the temple. And then it also says that he is also the successor to David's throne and will rule forever as king of kings. And so what Zechariah is saying is, put the crown on Joshua, whose, whose name is Jesus, put the crown on his head, and this will be a sign to you, this is the branch. Behold, this is who your branch will be. It will be the great high priest king, that there's no one else in all of history who could have ever fit that role as both the high priest who intercedes for us as a human being and as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. And in one man, Zechariah is saying, the priest and the king shall become one. And so when the angel says to Joseph, you shall call uh, this son uh, Joshua or Jesus, he points back to this prophecy. And you know, passages like this, I don't know about you, but they just make me excited to be a lover of Jesus. <laughs> they just make me excited and proud. Am I, am I allowed to be proud to be a Christian anymore? Like, what other world religion, uh, this is not politically correct, but what other world religion can boast in one man who's both the high priest and the king, just like he promised in the Old Testament? What kind of religion where, is there where God actually promises things and they're actually fulfilled thousands of years later to a T, not just sort of in some vague way, in some mystical way, but actually in the flesh. Like this is real, like study the passage again. This is real life. There's no one else that could have filled that role except for Jesus. And he did what he said he would. Um, I, I was watching this, I'm sure some of you guys saw this, I was watching this video um, that Bella put up on Facebook, and man, it just broke my heart. Um, it was these uh, Messianic Jews, the Jews for Jesus, and this guy was going around, and he was explaining to these Jews that, you know, kind of knew about Jesus, maybe, but they were not Christian, and he said, like, 
he went through uh, Isaiah chapter 53 with them and said, who do you think this is? Who do you think this suffering servant is? Who's the one that took on all the transgressions of our world? And these, and these Jews, some of them were like, I have no idea. And, and they were like eagerly anticipating the answer. And some of them were like, yeah, you know, we, we never talk about Yeshua in synagogue. Um, but yeah, we, we mistreated him. There was no reason why we mistreated him. There's no reason why he had to suffer. But it's exactly like it says in Isaiah, right? We believe in a God that actually does what he says he will. Like, Jesus, he was not some spirit. (laughs) He was with us in the flesh. And that's exactly what we're celebrating on Christmas. That he actually came as a human being and fulfilled all the promises of God. You know, in Hebrews, it says that the angels actually long to look into these things. The angels were actually excited to see, how is God going to save his people? You know, I believe when um, the angels were singing over the, um, the shepherds, I don't think they were just doing it out of duty, like, ba 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 ba, like, here's my turn, you know. That's how I imagined them, like a play, because I just watched too many of those, you know, those Christmas story plays. But I think they were actually singing out of joy at what had just transpired. They were like, wow, how could God become a man? Like, how could God send himself to rescue the people to himself? And so I, one of the things that just quickly that I, I pray that as a community that we're a week away from Christmas, I pray that we're able to meditate on Jesus being the fulfillment of everything we could have ever longed for. All of our prayers, all of our hopes and dreams, all the prophecies in the Old Testament, all the prophecies in the New Testament about his second coming, these are all real and we can actually trust in him. He actually came in the flesh like he said he would. So this was a review of last week. Um, again, Jesus is called Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. Zechariah 3, that he will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. So that's the what of Christmas, essentially. What are we celebrating? But now I want to look at sort of the why, as in why did that all happen? And so Matthew actually, as sort of almost like a thesis statement for this, this chapter 1, he sort of lays it out. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, so in verse 21, it says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. It's the same thing. Uh, and then in verse 22, it says, all this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what Matthew is saying is all this, so the story of the birth, right? Uh, Mary being pregnant as a virgin and then the angel calling Jesus, Jesus, naming him as Jesus, that he was going to be the one that takes away the sin of the world. He said, all of this happened. Why? Because to fulfill a prophecy, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So obviously, yes, this fulfills that prophecy. But it would be silly to think that God's ultimate purpose was just to have a virgin birth, right? There's a, it, it, it's a sign that points to something, right? And so what Matthew was saying is, all of this 
everything we believe in really is Jesus coming down and taking away our sins. All this happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, that they shall call his name Emmanuel. All this took place so that one day someone would come, which is now, someone would come that we could call Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of this happened so that one day we could worship our Jesus, worship our Savior for being God with us. That's what Matthew is sort of wrapping this whole section up in. And um, I, 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 took a, I took a Hebrew class this uh, past semester, and I got to actually um, just quickly read about this. But Emmanuel actually is a literal sentence uh, in Hebrew. So im means with, nu means us, el means God. Uh, el, that's where we get Elohim. So it, that's actually a sentence, God with us. So Isaiah is saying that this son, this Messiah, will is a sentence, literally God with us. It's kind of like, uh, I mean, I don't know how many of you know, but uh, Nigerian names are actually sentences. So you can ask uh, Nifemi what her name is. Um, one of Daniela's students, uh, his name is Oluwa Tofunmi, which means uh, God is enough for me which is amazing. Uh, you get to name actual sentences. So this is, a, I mean, I should name my kids Yoruba names. I'm, I'm sold. Um, but, but this is exactly what's happening here. Emmanuel, you shall call him, God is with us. And so what I want us to connect with this morning is God's desire to be with us. It's been the desire of his heart for all of history to be with us. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's always about God's desire to be with us. That's why he saved us from our sins. That's why he plucked us out of the fire to have fellowship with him, to have a relationship with him. It's this, I mean, do you think about the book of Genesis? God created Adam and Eve and they were all in the garden. And then when they sinned, what happened? They were separated, right? They were separated from the garden. There was a sword and the the consequence of sin was that we can no longer be with God. Right? And so we talked about last week, Jesus will save the sins of his people. Why? Unto what? Unto fellowship, unto relationship with God. Um, and you'll see this throughout the whole Bible. Um, but one of my favorite um, uh, descriptions of this is from Ezekiel. You don't have to turn there, but um, if you want to get into the book of Ezekiel, I really recommend that you read it in one or two days. Otherwise, you'll be stuck in the judgment passages like for three weeks straight. So... But when I, when, I, when I read this all the way through, uh, just in one sitting, you just get the story of God's heart to be with his people. You, you just can't get that just slogging through chapter after chapter every day. Um, and I can't explain it fully, but it's a story about Ezekiel sees God's glory, right? In the, in the strange signs and visions in, in the beginning. And then he sees the elders and the priests just desecrating the temple. And so God's glory actually leaves. And it's one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible. His glory, his manifest presence actually leaves. And then toward the end, it's all about how God is going to bring his people back to him and that his dwelling place will be with them once again. That his glory and his presence will be with them once again. That's the desire of his heart. So it says in Ezekiel 37, 26, it says, 
uh, and maybe we can get on the slide, but Ezekiel 37, 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst. And then here it is, my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. God's desire, his solution to our problem is not to say, hey, come up here to me. He says that when we're believers. But initially, he's not like, oh, come work your way up to me. But he says, I'm going to make my dwelling place with you because you will be my people and the nations will know that I'm a faithful God. I I love the way that uh, Ezekiel ends. Um, It's talking about the new Jerusalem and, and, and basically heaven. And in Ezekiel 48, 35, it says this, and the name of the city from that time on, so New Jerusalem, and the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. It's a concern for God that he be with us. Just like the Messiah, he called Emmanuel, God is with you. In the same way, he calls the holy city, the Lord is there. God is with you. It's the same thing in, in Revelation 21. It's, it's the same thing. Then I, the, Revelation 21.1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Actually, just as I was reading this, I didn't thought about this before, but prepared as a bride? (laughs) Like that's not just, I'm going to sit next to you. That's, I'm going to be in a love, I'm going to be in a faithful, covenantal love relationship with my people. God wants to be with us so much that he actually wants to be inside of us. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Whoever will open the door, I will come in and dine with you. That's to Christians. That's not to non-Christians. Jesus is talking to Christians. He's saying, open up the door of your heart. I want to be inside of you. I want to be with you. It says in, um, Paul says this in Ephesians 2. We, we all know this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So we were at one point just completely sinful, completely dead. And he brought us near by his blood. For, and it says this in verse 14 of Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. Uh, it says this, for he himself is our peace. Right? So when, when I read that, I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I, I think about, I used to think about this, like, why didn't God just send down some burning coals to atone us, like they did in Isaiah, you know? Why? But it specifically says that, it, it doesn't say in verse 14 that Jesus made a way to peace, or he showed us the way to peace. He said, he himself is our peace, 
And he said, in his own flesh, he broke down the dividing wall. He didn't just break it and say, all right, let's go through. He said, I'm going to break it down in my own flesh. Why? Because when he was nailed on the cross, when he was nailed on the cross, he took all of our sins and he bore it upon himself as the perfect sacrifice. He had to do it in himself. How much did God do for us to be with us? Think about, I just think about the the great lengths to which God came to be with us. Taking upon our hostility on himself, being our peace. Not just saying, okay, here's the way, but saying, I am the way, come through me. So just quickly, uh, in sort of closing here, what is the response that we need to have that Jesus is Emmanuel, that Jesus is God with us? Um, I was thinking about this and um, <laughs> this is silly, but uh, when I was in college and uh, I was pursuing Daniela, we, we, were, we were like in a pre-date, weird pre-dating <laughs> phase. <laughs> we, were, we were dating, but she, so she went down to um, study, um, I don't know, so o- oceanography at Williams Mystic. Um, so it was this program in Connecticut, basically. And so, um, I would go down to visit her. And so, you know, it's like a three and a half hour drive. And so I get a zip car and, uh, I don't know, it's like $150, which is like all of my savings at the time. <laughs> so I just cashed away my inheritance <laughs> to go see Daniela. <laughs> and, uh, and we would just, go, you know, obviously, you know, I would just go down and then we'd spend a couple hours together and come back up. And man, it was depressing <laughs> making the ride back up. To all of you people that are dating or engaged, man, marriage is awesome. I love it. You never have to leave. You never have to leave. Um, but th- this, is a, this is a silly illustration. But I mean, can you imagine if I, you know, spent all my money <laughs> and I drove down there, you know, woke up at five, drove down there, got there. And I, and, and, I, and I went up to Daniela for, for breakfast and I knocked on her door and she was like, well, actually, I just have a bit too much work. We can't hang out. Or like, oh, you know, I just have too much work. But like, I didn't even really sacrifice much to make that trip. I didn't even come from that far of a distance to be with her. But we do the same thing day in and day out to the creator of the universe and the lover of our souls. God didn't have to. It's everything is for his glory. If you read Ezekiel, everything is for his glory. He didn't, he didn't have to want to be with us. We were in no way deserving. We were the enemies of God. And yet he said out of the mercy and the love He said, I want to be with you and you shall call Jesus Emmanuel. And so he paid the price for us in his own flesh. He gave up eternal glories to come out as a a baby in a manger. And he says, I'm going to be with you. You will be my people. And we have the audacity to say, "Uh, no thanks. 
I'm feel you know the, these past couple months. Some of you know this. I, I've been struggling with sleep. My sleep has been being attacked, and I've just been losing my mind a little bit. And the first thing that went, I, I, Pastor Dale spoke on this in prayer set once. And the first thing that went was my prayer life. I was like, I'm sick, and that's fine. I mean, I was sick. I was pretty sick, so you know, I don't have to be reading the Bible while like you know not able to like open my eyes or whatever. But um, but you know, it just dragged on and, and I just, I just, I just use it as an excuse to, to not pursue God with the same zeal. Right. I mean, we find every single excuse and I know it's hard. It's hard, but God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful. He will do a work in our hearts where I love that song. Oh, come thou found where our, our hearts, our hearts will be fettered to him. Our, our heart, he will bind our wandering hearts to them, him. Where we're not going after broken cisterns anymore, but we're saying, God, you came to be with me. I will be with you. This is what, this is what uh, Philippians 3 says. Uh, this is from the NIV because um, there's, these are the more accurate translations here, but it says this. Uh, this is um, Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What is the reason for which Christ Jesus took hold of me? What is the reason? Well, we saw today, he took hold of me. He plucked me out of the fire. He saved me from my sins so that he could be with us, that we could be with him where he is, and that we would be his people. And so what Paul is saying is, I'm going to press forward to take hold of that love relationship for which Jesus died for me. I'm going to take hold. You know, my, fle- my spirit is willing. My flesh is weak. Sometimes I fail. I stumble. But I forget what is behind because Jesus took hold of me. He wanted to be with me. And so I'm going to press forward to be with him. And so I think our first response here is, over the next week even, what does it mean that God actually came to be with us as a man? And the sort of, uh, the, the corollary of that is not only did God come for me, he came for the world. For every single individual that does not know the name of Jesus, for every single individual that does not exalt the name of Jesus in their lives, they are living in a way that they are not bringing God the glory due His name. They're not living in the way that, were, that they were purposed to live. When we evangelize, it's dangerous, I think, maybe not, but I think it's dangerous to evangelize just from compassion for men. You know, because I started realizing this as I went out and I'd be like, Jesus, save them. Jesus, save them. Which is, which is what Jesus did. He had compassion on the, on, the, on the sheep that were lost. But also I began to connect with, God, would you receive the glory Do your name? It's like the Moravian said, let the, the lamb receive the reward for his suffering. It's, it's not about, I mean, it is about, I, I want to bring everybody in, right? The, the shepherd going after that one lost sheep. I will give everything for that one lost sheep. But it's also about, God, you deserve the glory. 
You deserve a people for your praises. You deserve a people that is set apart and holy. And so, my prayer for us is that we would be a people that connect with Emmanuel. We would be a people that connect with God with us. We would connect with the Jesus that was said to take away, Zechariah 3, take away the iniquity of a land in a single day. For what reason? So that he could have a people of his own possession. So that he could have relationship with us. So my prayer for us this morning is that uh, just going into the Christmas season, um, I love the festivities, I love the trees, I love the lights, but that we would take some serious time. I mean, I, I've lacked in this. That we would take some serious time to, to meditate. What did God do to be with us? And what is our response to his presence in our lives? So I'll just pray for us in closing here. God,